You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world, learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks, and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. All right. Hey, friends, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. I'm delighted. (laughs) I'm delighted that you've pressed play uh, on this episode uh, with Jose Humphreys. Uh, we're really excited about this interview. Um, I really loved uh, talking with Jose. Jose's amazing. We, he's a friend of a friend. Two people we were chatting uh, with about theology and race and ministry, and both of them were like, well, I'll talk to you, but you should really talk to Jose. Hmm. So that's why they connected us to him. Awesome. Yeah. And we talk about his book, Seeing Jesus in East Harlem, where he talks about showing up, staying put, uh, and then being able to see, because you've showed up, you're present, mm. and you have stability and commitment and fidelity, and then it changes uh, what you see, and oh. it changes how you see. Yeah, I love that. And then, uh, you know, as a person of color, Jose talks about the pride inherent in leading a multicultural or uh, congregation, mm-hmm. and how his church has is growing deeper and richer be- as he repents of that pride. Yeah. So this is incredible. This, he's an incredible guy, um, and he's learning so many beautiful, blessed things. And so I'm ex- yeah. we're excited to bring this to you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was just reflecting. I, I love the fact that um, Jose reflects something that is a counterintuitive impulse and mission that um, we need to keep being reminded of because it's so hard to... Uh, I guess it's so hard to practice it, is that there's an inherent mutuality in mission where I'm not the one who's bringing you. If I'm on mission, I'm not bringing you something that I have and I just dispense it to you, but rather I come and I submit myself and I listen and I learn. And as I listen and learn and grow, the kingdom comes among us. Are you sure? I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's how it goes. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, lots. Uh, yeah, this just feels like there's stuff in the news every week that's like another example of 
somebody sort of burning out, flaming out, something blowing up uh, because there wasn't a sense of mutuality. Well, anyway. uh, mutuality is <clears throat> the antidote to uh, colonial Christendom. Yep. Yeah, but that's still in our uh, bloodstream. You know, I was listening. Significantly, it is. I was listening to a podcast. Um, mm, yeah, well, I actually don't self censor a lot what I say, and I just <laughs> I started to watch your wheels think there, through. Man. Should I censor this? And I'm yeah, I, why start now, Ben? Okay. Well, <laughs> I could think of some reasons. I was but listening to a ahead. podcast by some um, Catholic Anglicans, and um, so Anglican is that what you're going to censor out? Well, not you think that would be I'm getting to it. Oh, okay, all right. Not yet. I was going to say that's not offensive. No, no, no. But but Anglicanism has sort of reformed Anglicans and Catholic Anglicans and and uh, charismatic Anglicans and yeah, you know more big... Celtic mystical Anglicans. Yeah. Uh, anyway, these these were Catholic Anglicans and they were discussing the history and development of Anglicanism and um, a lot of things came together for me. They were winsomely nostalgic about Christendom. Hmm. And how how good it was, and how much they missed it, mm. and uh, it, it like things locked into place for me. Yeah, because I'm like, okay, so there there is a, a an imagination. I would say it's like a it's kind of like a uh, nostalgic imagination for Christendom that I cannot relate to. Yeah, I think it's because I'm so dialed into all the. All the issues and pitfalls. All the neg- yeah, all, all the, the negatives negativity. that came out of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it was it was helpful for me yeah. in a very private moment, in the secret, in the quiet place for <laughs> in me. In your own heart. <laughs> no, that's good. No, that's, we should do an episode about that uh, sometime yes. because... I've got lots of things to say about it. Yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> uh, I mean, I do too, but I think it is a... I'm reading right now um, a lot of the history of the, the church, especially the Church of England as an Anglican. Um and it, it's fascinating uh, to me what a complex web it is. You know what I mean? So I think that I think the easy ditches are like Christendom was the worst thing ever, or Christendom was the best thing ever. You know what I mean? Don't you but take my like, di- don't you take my ditch from me? But it's it was it was complicated and it was complex. So and almost inevitable. Christendom, I feel like, was inevitable. Just about the way people thought. Anyway, we're getting a little bit far afield. Thanks, Constantine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so we got some uh, some things to let you know about. Yes. Uh, October 7th, Ben, what's happening October yeah, 7th? Yeah, so uh, last week we talked a little bit about uh, the Enneagram workshops that we do. We've got some coming up in the Atlanta area, in uh, Philadelphia, in Lexington. Um, we just booked one um, for the new year. Uh, in Indianapolis, but also um, in March, we're going to be in Holland, Michigan. Then we're going to be in Kalamazoo, Michigan in April, et cetera, et cetera. So they're starting to come together for the new year. Um, To uh, kind of give people a a little taste of what we do at those, we're going to do a webinar on Monday, October 7th. There's a link in the show notes if you want to register. No kidding. Yeah, Monday, October 7th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, We're going to talk about how to use the Enneagram like a Christian or as a Christian. Uh, do's and don'ts. We're going to try to make it super practical. You know, it's interesting. Do this, don't do that. If you go on certain websites, Christian websites, mm-hmm. uh, there's all this, uh, all these words spilt about how the Enneagram compromises the gospel, how oh, yeah. as a Christian, you can't use the Enneagram and blah, blah. And, uh, you know, I'm just waiting for the articles on uh, capitalism, Yeah. you know, socialism. Well, there's probably plenty on socialism. <laughs> I'm, I'm, like, I'm, waiting, I'm waiting on the same kinds of articles towards extra 
or sub-biblical philosophies and economic systems. Yeah, yeah. And there just isn't nearly as much heat about it as there is about the Enneagram. Yeah, which is fascinating. It is fascinating. Yeah. But yeah, this... uh, I, I'm actually having a crisis in my in my Enneagram number right now. <laughs> Are you? Yeah, I am. Yeah. So that's last such an Enneagram four thing to do. Which, by the way, folks, that's one of the things <laughs> not to do. <laughs> I've started to make a list. One of the things not to do is to uh, uh, tell other people that um, the reason they're doing something is because they're an Enneagram blank. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. So uh, last night, my wife and I were getting ready for dinner, and this is a we have a we have an ongoing conversation that's the <laughs> christian word right. in in air quotes yeah. that's an ongoing uh, there's an ongoing dispute. discussion dispute. dispute oh a dispute yeah yes. that sounds pretty polite about when to pray so hmm. um, like for the meal yep not just in general okay so, so like pray. most most people pray at the beginning of the meal but when does the meal begin so we have two uh, kids and okay. and what typically happens in our house is my wife wants um to get all the, get the table set and then get everything done with uh-huh. the table set before we pray. Okay. What typically happens then is the kids sit down, they're sitting in front of hot food. Mm-hmm. You know, they're voraciously hungry animals. Right. So they're they, they can't help them, the same thing. Right. They can't they help themselves reach. to start eating and yeah, yeah. reaching. Um and then my wife my wife has like six things she needs to grab. I have six things I need to grab. And inevitably we we sit down and then get right back up because we forgot something, napkins or drinks or you know, get the yeah, dog her yeah, yeah. Kong so she won't jump up on the table. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Close the wind close the windows so the napkins don't blow, you know, all, oh I forgot to turn off the oven, like all these things. And I'm just like, hey, why don't we get everybody to the table? And whenever we get to the table, we'll just stop what we're doing, we'll say grace, and then you and I, Sharon can continue to gather the things necessary for the meal after we've prayed so the kids can begin eating we can begin talking yeah you would think that i was a communist uh <laughs> terrorist for suggesting that hmm. so my my wife is is it's i'm an imp, it's just inconceivable mm-hmm. that we should pray before everything's on the table mm. and i'm like well this would solve like us telling the kids not to eat and and yeah. like and for us to remember everything and for the mm-hmm. food to get cold while we're like trying to get everything together mm-hmm. and i realized like why can't i just submit to what my wife wants and and why can't she just submit to what i want mm. um and so I bought her the godly wife uh, on... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. There's a Bible verse about this, honey. <laughs> no, so... Uh, but it struck me. I was like, both of us think that we're right, mm. and there's a right way to do it. And I, I'm like, am I just a really unhealthy Enneagram one? <laughs> <laughs> like, it literally occurred Bro, to me. Am wow, I just a really unhealthy Enneagram oh, wow, one wow. who married like a... A, a one that I just don't want to fight with, so I just sort of retreat into being a four so oh. that she can have her way. I don't know, man. Come to the webinar Come October the- 7th and Maybe find not. out. <laughs> How does the story end? No, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't no, know. That's great. It just that's occurred great. to me yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, why yeah. is this such yeah. a big deal for me? Yeah. That's interesting. So that's one of the... Uh, that's, one of the that's one of the ways to use the Enneagram as a Christian, is you use that as a lens... Uh, to think about your own spiritual formation. Yes. Rather than an excuse for my behavior. 
Right. Or anyway, so we'll, we'll talk about that. Anyway, there's a link in the show notes. If you're interested in joining us, it's a webinar. It's online. Also check the weekly links. If you're not, if you don't get our weekly links. Please get them. You should. They're really good. Yeah. Um, I've got, I got a number of articles saved on open tabs on my laptop that I'm yeah. going to send you for this week's links. They're really good. Oh, good, good. I'm, I'm super excited about them. Fantastic. Well, that'll, those will come out Friday. So make sure you sign up. Uh, uh, go there today. Gravityleadership.com slash join. Yeah, and you'll see, you, we sent out free links, resources, things we're reading, things that are helpful. Yeah. And the webinar will, and how to register for the webinar. Will yeah, be that'll be in there too. So Anything else? And the show notes uh, of this one. Um, yeah, so hope you can make it to that. Um, if you're interested, if you're in the area of one of these already scheduled Enneagram workshops, we'd love to see you there. Uh, if you're interested in scheduling one for your area or one of our other workshops, which uh, we do one on parenting in Grace and Truth, and we also do one on Christendom, the Church in Post Christendom, which we just talked about, um, that's called Church in the Wild, uh, and we uh, we do that as well. Uh, you can give us a uh, send us an email, mm. and we'll uh, we'll start to have a conversation about what we could do there. Um, also, one more thing to mention before we get started is our membership community yes. on Patreon. Yes. Um, we, um, yeah, it's uh, it's growing slowly but surely, and uh, we're really thankful for our supporters and partners uh, in that realm. You get our practitioner podcast uh, if you sign up at $15 a month or more, and uh, I've been super excited about um, that uh, yeah. lately, uh, especially. We've got, some, got an interview coming up with... Um, uh, two friends who reconciled after kind of having a falling out and uh, just an- allows us to be a little bit more real, vulnerable, yep. intimate. Also um, one with Reverend Dr. David Fitch. The Reverend Dr. David Fitch. That we're who, only releasing on the practitioner platform because it is... It, is it quintess- went a little off the rails. It is quintessential. <laughs> n- names get named. Yeah. People, yeah, people, little, get, uh, people get caricatured. <laughs> no, yes. but it's, and it's super nerdy. Yeah, it is. It's super nerdy. It just felt like a little much for our normal podcast. Uh, so if if for no other reason than you want the salacious details, <laughs> of, <laughs> sign up at patreon.com slash gravity leadership. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, uh, folks, we've got some new uh, patrons this week. Um, Finn, Doan, uh, Jeremy Hooper and Michael Sherman all signed up thank uh, you. to be patrons this week. Thanks, guys. Thank really you, appreciate you, your support, you. your partnership. Uh, I think that's it. Did you have something else? Yeah, Matt? I'm just gonna. Uh, the week of October seventh, we're gonna be in San Francisco. Is that right? Uh, yeah. No, Santa Cruz. Santa, well, just south, Santa Cruz. We're gonna be in Santa, Santa Cruz, Cruz Mountains. Right. Matt, Matt and I will be. Yeah. Ben, ben and I. Won't. Yeah, and then Matt Tebby will be in Orlando the week of October fourteenth, and I will be in Charleston, South Carolina, the week of November. Fourth, so if you're in any of those oh, yeah. places, good thought, and you want to connect, yeah. uh, reach out to me. Yep, and I will be uh, yes in Santa Cruz, and then um, wherever the Enneagram workshops are, I will be in those places. Mm-hmm. Those are that's my travel mm-hmm. schedule for the fall. All right, All we right. should shut up and let Jose talk. Yes, here he is. This is the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Welcome. Good day. Good day. Good day, mate. Good day. As they say uh, in Indiana. As we say in Indiana. <laughs> As we say in Indiana. Good day, mate. Good day. Uh, this is Shrimps on the Bobby. This is Matt Tebby, uh, one of the co-founders with my friends Ben Hardman in Atlanta. 
Hey guys, and I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do the good day thing. No, they don't do that in Atlanta. No, they don't. Yeah, it's it's a local or, Indiana custom. Ben, yeah, and Ben yeah, Sternkey. Okay. Yep, I'm here. Hey, hey, mate. Good eye. Uh, and we are joined today by um, Jose Jose Humphreys from Harlem in New York City. Good day, Jose. Hey, good day, good day. And uh, as they say in uh, New York City, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Jose, you are. Um, one of our friends, one of the we have coaches that work with us at Gravity Leadership, and one of them, Dan Sadler, uh, is a good friend of ours. And I was What's hanging that? out with Dan on Roosevelt Island a couple months ago, talking about an interview I was doing in some different city ministry. And I, I asked him, "Okay, tell me, tell me what's going on in New York City. Tell me what's going on in the the ministry. You know, and uh, there's there's big churches that have big profiles." And he said, "You know, the person you need to talk to, though." The person who uh, I want I want my ministry to be sort of uh, inspired by and modeled after is Jose Humphreys. Mm, wow. Oh, wow! And I wow. I said, who is that? And he said, well, wow. check out the book, Seeing Jesus in East Harlem. So wow. I got wow. the book, read it. It's stinking amazing. Uh, and so our friend Dan Sadler made this connection. Jose, it's great to have you on the podcast. Hey, uh, it's great to be here. And, you know, I got to send uh, Dan Sadler that royalty check. You know? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, four cents or something like that. that yeah. Made there on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you are in East uh, Harlem, Jose. Will you tell us a bit about um, just your family, your ministry? Give us a brief introduction about who you are. Sure, sure. Um, my wife and I co-founded the church uh, together about 11 years ago. Uh, we're both uh, native New Yorkers. Um, I'm originally from uh, Manhattan's Lower East Side, uh, but I've been in East Harlem for about the last, uh, wow, 18 years. And uh, when we planted, uh, we were really just uh, contemplating where this um, church expression could happen. And uh, East Harlem just seemed like the, you know, the most natural thing since we lived here. And uh, we loved uh, its narrative. My wife, Myra, her dad was also... Uh, raised here as well. So mm. there was a special just connection uh, to uh, both its uh, migrant history, immigrant history, and also all of the changes that, that are happening as well that are reflected today, both uh, for better or worse. So uh, it's been an adventure. Yeah. Yeah. And your book, Seeing Jesus in East Harlem, is, is basically a travelogue of the things you've learned and the commitments you've made as you've planted this church. And you've got sort of three sections in the book one is um, uh, showing up, being, right. being present, sort of a sort of a ministry of of being fully present, uh, staying put. So a ministry of commitment, stability, mm. and then and then seeing, um, and and you unpack these things, and I think in a really helpful way. But can you give us a why did you structure the book like this? How how has your ministry in East Harlem made these three commitments sort of primary or necessary for you? Well, yeah, I, you know, I often think about what a uh, robust uh, incarnational theology that takes uh, place, geography, zip code uh, very seriously actually looks like. And uh, what better way through both uh, experience and through uh, personal narrative that's also uh, connected to the theology. You know, one of the first uh, quotes that I use, I think, in chapter one talks about how uh Part of theology is also autobiographical. In the old church, we used to call it, what, testimony. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's being able to locate God, not only in our activities, not only in the experience of our lives, but also in specific places. 
uh, as I say in chapter one of showing up, when we move in the world, we move into a place when we also recognize that we are part of a larger ecology, mm. you know, God's creation. Uh, but that ecology could also be, be expressed in uh, concrete jungles, right? Cities, landscapes, architecture, neighborhood, uh, you know, civic engagement, all of these things. So we, we move through the world in our bodies. And I think much of our Christian faith is, uh, as it was handed down to us through both Western thought, through evangelical theology, it tends to be individualistic yep. and and also disconnected from from place, disembodied in many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is an attempt. This was an attempt at at, at kind of reclaiming a language uh, that goes back, of course, to scripture, sure. uh, where where people could begin to reimagine themselves and also the church. Uh, situated differently in uh, a specific time and place. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And man, so, I know that was a mouthful. So I just, no, that's so good, man. I'm thinking about so it. So there's um, a friend of mine uses the word excarnate as a sort of an mm-hmm. opposite of incarnate. And oh, so, wow. And yes. so we have these excarnate lives where we're sort of, I mean, we're doing a podcast right now. You could be in the shower. You could be at right. a, on a, on a you could be drag racing right now and listening right. to this, you know? Um, you could be in drag listening to this. You could be like anywhere. <laughs> you could be anywhere doing anything. So there's, so there's, this is a translocal medium, but what right, you're right. describing in this book is a hyper-local expression of what it means to be the body of Christ and reclaiming, like you said, geography, relationships, place in a city like New York, right? Where mm, the people right. are moving. And so, so explain, help me un- unpack this. Like, how do you do that in one of the most transient, busiest cities uh, in, you know, in, in the universe? <laughs> oh God, uh, with a lot of prayer and therapy, right? First yeah. and foremost, uh, uh, you know, but what I find is, uh, you know, like with any good story, um, the more particular you get, ironically, the more universal the story yes. becomes. That's yes. good. And uh, so when we all show up, uh, we show up with uh, both um, racial, racialized, I should say, embodied identities, uh, you know, labels, um, uh, references that, that the world has many, in many ways cast upon us through, through different stories, both made up and also uh, true, right? Mm-hmm. It's true that we are uh, image bearers. It's, it's true that we hold ethnic identity, which is a very biblical thing, right? Ethnos. Right. Right. Uh, but then we also know that racial stories, uh, stories about um, uh, human value and human worth, whether it's class, whether it's, uh, you know, through, through gender, mm-hmm. are, are stories that are also um, either embellished upon or, or distorted. So uh, when we're um, moving in places like New York City, we recognize that there are uh, certain narratives that hold true here. Um, people, mm. for one, it, and it's true, <laughs> are in a rush. And because yeah. they're in a rush, there is a state of anxiety. Uh, people come here often to cut their teeth uh, in some sort of uh, yeah. profession. Yeah. And um, there's a sense that, you know, New York City, as I mentioned in the book, is more of a port of call. It's like, hey, you know, we, we stopped here for, for a couple of hours, or in our case, you know, two to three years, and then, and then we move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in, in doing a, a kind of a deep contextual analysis, and of course, living here is, uh, my whole life, uh, I had to kind of uh, step out of the rush, thankfully, through my own travels, and, and, and also return to it. And C, right, the, the yeah. third category, you know, it was revealed to me in many different ways that uh, the story that our church, our, our church would be living would be a, a, a counter narrative, or at least <laughs> idealistically and aspirationally, right? Because that's mm-hmm. what formation is really about. Yeah. Uh, and, and it would mean things like uh, starting an intentional community, 
uh, doing a garden together, uh, shopping local. It would mean uh, that the way that we move through uh, place and live in place and how we move into place would be a very particular conversation. So uh, real quick, I, I think everything that, that I, ha I had folks thinking about is like, you know, where are you shopping for that cafe con leche, that coffee? Uh, when you sign a lease, um, you know, maybe you don't think about it as just a just contractual obligation to a landlord, but maybe it's also a, a form of covenant right. with that specific neighborhood to be a neighbor in a particular way. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I love what you're talking about, uh, Jose, because um, I, the words that you use before we hit the record button when we were talking with you is that um, your book and your ministry there and kind of what you're encouraging Christians to think about is not so much like a ministry strategy, but right. more of a new way of seeing and inhabiting your whole life. So in that way, it's it's more contemplative than it is strategic. It's right. it's more contemplative. There, and I, I love those three sections that you talk about, where the first one is just about being. It's about presence, about being fully present. The second one's about staying. And then the third one's about seeing. And they're all, in some ways, they feel very passive, um, which hmm. I think sometimes gets under the skin of us as like ministry leaders who want to do some good work in you the mean, world, and you know by, what I mean. By passive, you mean like not activistic, right? It's not like oh well, well how, here's how to do my ministry, and here's how to you know you know move Change and shake world. things yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I'm just struck by how contemplative it is to say, and and the kind of trust we need, I guess that that God is God is already at work, and so I I'm present to it, I stay in it, and I. Uh, what was the third category? And I see and it. I see it. Yeah, yeah. I learned how yeah. to see it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. So anyway, right. I'm, I'm struck by that. Yeah, how, yeah. Oh, thanks for yeah. Thanks for that. I, I, Go ahead. Go ahead. If you got a response to that, I, I know there's not a question there, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I I, I just uh, it, it's great to hear that. Uh, in, in some ways, it does go uh, against the activistic nature of um, maybe even some strands of the pro uh, progressive prophetic church. Sure, right? sure. That, as yeah. you guys well know, right, being where you are and having the conversations that you're having, there's a real tension now with, uh, you know, this idea of, uh, you know, prophetic ministry, right? And, right? and sometimes, you know, justice becomes the, the cool, hot and sexy buzzword of, of the day, right, of right. the Christian decade. Uh, but what people are looking for, the yearning, is a, a more integrated faith that, that takes both uh, that, that prophetic witness yeah. And, and contemplative aspects, right, resources of, yes. of the Christian faith and merges them together. Something that I think we're still trying to figure out yes. uh, in the midst of our anxiety and also uh, wanting, uh, living in a, in a kind of a success-based um, yeah. economy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's good, Jose. I think we're, we, we struggle so much with rootedness. We're, we, we're kind of in this hyper-connected world where it's easy for us to kind of start to shepherd people that we were never called to shepherd. Uh, and we become the internet pastors or the <laughs> pastors of my Facebook feed um, rather than rooting ourselves in community. So I greatly appreciate this just idea of staying put. I, th I think uh, a lot of times the church has become this kind of free agency kind of world. We're looking for the better option. We've always got one foot in and one foot out. Um, I'm curious as you as you're advising other pastors who are trying to take this path of rootedness and connectivity in their community, staying put and showing up. Um, what what are the best like practices of listening to your community and discerning kind of 
what's going on in the hearts of your people? Like what, how do you practice kind of listening in your community? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I, I think it also grounds, uh, this, this notion of, of staying put. Uh, I was grateful that I had lived in my community for about a good uh, nine years or so before I planted. Hmm. And so by that time, uh, my wife and I literally knew about 25 business owners. Uh, we would frequent uh, cafes, restaurants, uh, retail stores. And, and if they were popping up new, we made it a point uh, just to go there and grab a business card and just say, hey, we're going to let our neighbors know about you. Um, welcome to the neighborhood. You know, we value uh, what you're contributing. Uh, it's it's looking at, for example, an institution and a small business beyond uh, the just maybe the mission uh, itself. And it's also looking at the business owner as an image bearer who has dreams, visions, and uh, wanting to make a contribution to the larger ecology of neighborhood. So that was one way that we did it, uh, you know, doing prayer walks uh, through the neighborhood. And it's not necessarily uh, uh, saying prayers as much as you're just present to what's happening. Um, yeah. No, in, in other words, uh, in a gentrifying neighborhood, you notice there's a lot of scaffold on different buildings, right? Brownstones yeah. are being uh, you know, renovated. Uh, there's a lot of uh, drilling and breaking of ground. And, and so you're present to, to both what's happening and, and what's going to happen. And then you're also honoring uh, history, uh, for example. And Willie James Jennings says this. He's uh, you know, a professor at uh, Yale University. Mm -hmm. uh, he talks about how every uh, pastor, Christian for that matter, uh, should be discipled in place. And one of the ways that you, you can be discipled uh, about place is knowing what the history, uh, you know, who are the natives uh, of mm. that sp specific land, uh, for example, uh, who are the inhabitants, the, the first inhabitants, how has, how has the neighborhood uh, shifted over time and space? Uh, what does what is up and coming uh, look like versus what was? What do mm. uh, gra graffiti murals tell us, right, about mm -hmm. the voice of the voice you know that, that are just uh, crying out through uh, the, the cracks in the concrete. Uh, what, so, what is your context uh, communicating to, uh, to you? The only way that that can happen, and it was to your point earlier, uh, is through a, a contemplative posture uh, mm. rather than a just a strategic one. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a. Uh, I'm just struck by the. Uh the seeming contrast. I know you said we were trying to get this action and contemplation thing, trying to figure out how they go together. And, you know, cause we all, we all, we all, you know, like we talked about the activist extreme where, you know, we're just out there kind of trying to do stuff, but we're not really paying attention to anything ourselves or what's going on around us. Uh, but there is another extreme, right. Uh, where, you know, the, the, the person who just, they want to pray for 10 hours a day by mm -hmm. themselves in their room, you know what I mean? And they never get around to like, visiting a business or, you know, taking a prayer walk and, you know, that kind of thing. So I'm struck by the contemplative posture uh, in New York City. Uh, another one of our friends that's been on the podcast is Rich Velotis, uh, oh, yeah. who is a contemplative New Yorker as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, so yeah, I, I appreciate that. I feel, like y I feel like you've got some things to teach most of us totally. because you live in this very yeah. go-get-em city learning how to pay attention, learning how to listen, learning how to be present. 
Yeah, Love it's it. almost a substructure. It's almost like the below the surface kind of thing, Jose. That's so it's, right. there's like, right. like 12 steps. So here's the 12 steps I did. I visited six businesses a day for six days, right. had three seven-minute conversations, five four-minute conversations. You know, it's... That's right. Right? Um, I, I th- maybe maybe this can get at it. Like, uh, In the book, you share a story about how you had to repent, in a way, of wanting to plant a diverse church. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, can, how much time do we have? Yeah. <laughs> can you? Will you? Will you just tell that story in any way That's that great. any way that seems best to you? What? How did you come to that realization, and why? Why did that become a stumbling block for you? Yeah. Yeah. That that was the toughest chapter, um, and I remember the editor saying, "Pare it down. You have about you know two chap three or four chapters in one." And um, I think it was on naming whiteness, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I wanted to really just narrow down my thoughts. And uh, inevitably, I think what I was trying to avoid was just vulnerability. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> uh, like, so, like all of us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but since it's already out there. Yeah, here, uh, here we go. You know, I'm, I'm just uh, bringing it back to, to bear. Uh, well, as I mentioned before, I, I think uh, the, the church historically goes through its ebbs and flows, right? So diversity becomes the thing now. Right. And, uh, you know, so I, I, in many ways, I didn't realize how much of my uh, drive to plant a multi-ethnic church in New York City was based on my ego. Uh, to, to be able to say, wow, as a brown man, um, Afro-Latino, Native New Yorker, uh, I'm drawing in white folks. I'm drawing in Asian folks. And somehow, some way, somewhere along the line, uh, well, it was beautiful um, in, in terms of seeing the not only the diversity of thought, uh, you know, diversity of, of, of skin color, diversity of, uh, you know, uh, Christian thought. You know, it, it, our, our church has always had this kind of ecumenical uh, bend to it as well. And you know, after a while, just through the transience, uh, the grief, the loss, the, the just the disappointment, I, I began to realize that um, I had in many ways formed um, an idol uh, about this diversity thing. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I guess through the through the disappointments of it and, and the tensions that come with it, because when you bring in diverse people, of course, you're, it gets messy uh, in, in so many different ways. You you learn a lot about yourself. Uh, number one, how I was favoring in many ways uh, people of lighter complexions or who were white appearing, and and it was happening on this really just unconscious level. Hmm. And then, uh, so if my African American sister came with me, uh, came to me uh, with feedback about the sermon, somehow maybe it would weigh uh, somewhat less than when you know the white brother would say, "Hey, you know, thumbs up on that sermon. I felt so great," and whatever you know people say, hmm. uh, and. A lot of folks don't talk about this, by the way, because uh, yeah. uh, it's, it's just a very difficult conversation. Um, I mean, you can talk about everything from, uh, you know, the, the, the things that the narratives that we've uh, that I've internalized that that brown men or brown people have internalized in certain circumstances. So, I mm-hmm. part of repenting about that was I just remember about three summers ago, you know, just having a dialogue with God, um, you know, and I remember just saying. You know, God, if, if this church uh, were to somehow, uh, quote unquote, brown over, if, if all I drew, <laughs> if all we drew were, were, were people of color, I would be so content and, mm. and so happy. 
and uh, God ends up sending me a Taiwanese American co-pastor, and <laughs> it becomes, right, right. and it becomes, and and it continues to 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 flow with with a, a spirit of diversity, mm. uh, even in the midst of some of the transients. And it, it was, but I had to get to that point because um, in real it when you show up, uh, part of that that exercise of showing up is that self-assessment of not only what I bring. Um, but uh, what biases, uh, what uh, uh, crutches, so to speak, spiritual crutches uh, uh, am I, uh, are being exposed. Um, So I don't know if that makes sense, but I I think that that was, and it was a great question too, because it it has me kind of uh, bearing down deeper into my soul. (laughs) Uh, It was in many ways, one of the most transformative journeys so that I could come back to this form of ministry uh, situated differently with uh, humility, with self-love. And when you have that kind of self-love, you're able to pastor people uh, across the racial, ethnic uh, spectrum with more integrity and with more love. Dude. So good. It's really profound. Yeah, I appreciate your vulnerability uh, in kind of sharing that. Um, yeah, I don't have much else to say. Thank you. Yeah, I think Jose, I think that's a lot of the work that we're trying to train leaders in is to actually pay attention to what's beneath the surface, to get to your inner life, to get to a place where you're actually paying attention to your motives and motivations and thinking through uh, what is it in me that causes me to respond this way? What, you know, why do I get triggered at certain things? Why do I, you know, value this opinion more than I value this opinion? Why, you know, why does this email set me off? Why did this, you know, <laughs> paying attention to those kinds of things and doing the hard work of, of uh, self-assessment and looking at your own life. Um, uh, we, we really believe that leaders don't just go first, but leaders are the ones that grow first in an organization. Mm. And so the leader should lead the way in self-awareness and in self um, paying attention to self and being present to what's going on. Um, I'm also struck by um, our tendency as pastors to pastor the church we want to have rather than pastoring the people that are in front of us. Uh, And that we're often, we have this aspirational vision of what the church is and we're pastoring that rather than kind of having Mm. a rootedness of, and so one of the things Mm. in Atlanta, we're dealing and wrestling with a lot of the same things of a a desire to be more of a diverse church. Um, But one of my leaders came to me recently and said, Hey, I, I, I know that this is a passion for us. And I know we want to lean into this, but we have to pastor the people that are in front of us, right? That we got to shepherd the people who Christ has sent us. So, so here's my question in that is, is how do we still strive towards the aspirational value of who we want to become, but stay rooted in pastoring the people that are in front of us and Mm. shepherding the people that are right here with us? Yeah, it's a good question. You have any advice for us in that? (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, You know, I'm an idealist by nature. So I I totally uh, fall in love with, with the aspirational and, Mm. and there even comes the, the dysfunctional side of it where we kind of fetishize uh, ministry and uh, the, these ideals uh, of of what what should be happening, right? It's the the, the is versus the ought, <laughs> mm, yes. and um, and and we're, we're we're not really often present to what is, and we miss so much in terms of uh, the the stories before us because we're we're too busy futuring, uh, and and I think part of what 
uh, I had mentioned before my, I guess in my testimony of, of, of vulnerability, uh, I, I needed to, um, in many ways, uh, you know, talk about our, our cruciform existence, nail this, uh, the, the, not the aspiration of the kingdom, right? Cause it's here and not yet. Uh, but the idealization that comes from my own limited imagination as a person. Yeah, that's good. Mm. And one of the talks that I do has to do with uh, uh, shalom and imaginative practices. And I think part of what pastors and leaders need to do is reclaim imaginative pra- practices that allow them, 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 that will allow themselves to uh, see themselves differently in context, meaning. Uh, one example is uh, I'll, I'll ask church leaders, what, what is a good metaphor for your church when you think about the church, right? I mean, we know mm. the usual ones, right? Jesus says, you're the light of the world, the city on the hill, the salt of the earth. But, you know, what are you thinking about? How do you see yourself in, in context? And uh, it's interesting that there's this uh, uh, documentary on uh, intelligent trees. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but just how trees basically communicate. Yeah. Short, long, long story short, they talk about um, uh, mycelium, right? And and how mycelium acts as the kind of the, the social network underground that allows trees to communicate and also nourish each other. What a metaphor, right? Yeah. So I said, you know, maybe we just need to reimagine ourselves in community differently. And instead of seeing ourselves as, as, as a flagship, maybe we can actually see ourselves as part of a fellowship. Maybe mm-hmm. uh, we're not just salt and light of the world. Uh, oh, you're preaching now! Come on, come on, somebody! <laughs> you know, maybe be uh, beyond sight, uh, salt, uh, light, and and all that good stuff. The city on the hill. Maybe we are also get this one: the the fungi of the world, right? Hey. <laughs> that that breaks things down and nourishes and and allows yeah. things to communicate and becomes a part of. Yes. Uh, creating nourishing uh, environments underground, as you mentioned before, because it's it's not always uh, going to be public. It's not always going to be seen, and I, and I think that when when we reimagine ourselves differently mm-hmm. uh, as servant leaders, as part of the root system, then we become less ego driven, uh, and and our practices. Uh, reflect that. So it's yeah. reimagining ourselves different, looking for different metaphors. It's it's having conversations in becoming and becoming conversant with uh, place. So it's both people and and it's also place. Mm-hmm. And then last thing I would say is that you know beyond, we got to get out of our our, our petty imaginations, Drew. Uh, really thinking about how we could become uh, more more experimental uh, in 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 our staying together uh, and. Just to get a little bit more contextual to your question earlier about like how does this translate outside of the city, uh, these practices, if you notice, that we're describing, walking contemplatively, whether through cities or driving through dirt roads or, or whatever it is, uh, have some sort of universal uh, kind of application. And mm. uh, so whether you're in Appalachia, whether you're in uh, certain parts of Kentucky, you can uh, come into spaces to... Uh, you know, town, country, village, whatever, uh, contemplatively and, yeah. and, and ask yourself, who am I in, in, in my presence? How, what, what is it that my body communicates? What is it that my education even communicates, hmm. uh, as a way of coming back and, and being that incarnational presence of so Philippians kind of, uh, chapter two kind of, yeah. Uh, presence that servant leader so i kind of went all over the way the place with that one but i, I wanted Great. to at least touch on like how does this also 
yeah. look like in, in a different place in, in right. Greensboro, North Carolina. And yeah. uh, you know, it, we can ask these same questions. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I want to, maybe as we close, I want to pick up on something you just mentioned briefly about you're now a co-pastor at your church. Mm. Uh, ben and I are co-pastoring together in Indianapolis. We have a lot of leaders who are increasingly uh, either have been hurt or realize the uh, limitations of maybe the traditional church structure and modeling. You know, a lot of people who listen, and it, I mean, we meet with local people who are like, tell us about co-pastoring. How do you do it? And it, I find that a lot of people are interested in that, but they don't really have an imagination for what that looks like or lives like. So could you tell us a little bit about how it's structured at your church and like maybe one or two things that are surprising to you or that you're learning as you're in this arrangement? I probably know the least of, of, of uh, anyone here or, or even out there on this because we're still um, in the workings. We just had a board meeting uh, about this because uh, I technically am still the lead pastor, but for 2020, we're looking to enter fully into the co-pastorate model. But I could say what's what's uh, kind of drawn us in that direction. Uh, it, it's really just about uh, two things, knowing what you do well as a pastor and you don't do well. Um, mm. And I know it sounds simplistic, but it's not because uh, there are times we think that we really do something well until we see someone else do it, and you're like, "Wow, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, yeah. I didn't do that as well as I thought." Um, yeah. And then, um, and then two, just uh, recognizing that um, going back to the diversity piece. Now, on the flip side of it, uh, people need to see d- different expressions of the image of God. Mm-hmm. And, and if that could be also reflected in um, the pastorate, whether through uh, ethnicity or through gender, uh, there's something uh, powerful about that expression in its very embodiment. And, and that's what yeah. I would say. Hmm. That's good, man. It's helpful. It's good. good. Um, Jose, maybe uh, to close, like, um, what, what are the one or two questions you feel like your church is facing now? Or... Um, you know, as you look forward in the next three to six to nine months, like what are some of the things that you have to wrestle with or grapple with in order to continue to be faithful in the way that you lay out in your book? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, number one, uh, I'll just go there. Uh, coming up with a creative financial model that would allow us to su- uh, sustain ourselves through just all of the, the you know, just the, the, the vicissitudes to, the changes of our neighborhood. Um, mm. it's, it's getting more expensive to do ministry. People are being priced out. Um, we, we have to really resituate ourselves in terms of, uh, thinking about finances, uh, creatively more, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of what, what are some maybe revenue generating streams that we could also think about. We're a small community. Yeah. Uh, we don't have the, some of the luxuries that the big guys do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's one, uh, hmm. uh possible big news. Um, uh, and, you know, it's interesting. I'm talking about this and, and like half of my church doesn't know about it, but, you know, <laughs> maybe, uh, but hey, you maybe know. it'll happen by the time this airs. We'll see. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, there might be the possibility of a deeper partnership where we move out of our current location, out of the National Black Theater into an organization that's moving into a new space hmm. that uh, provides uh, services to folks who are formerly incarcerated. So, you know, we we were talking about like being embedded in in the root system of our community and also nourishing other organizations and ministries that are doing great work. Uh, That is going to be both an adventure and experiment, uh, (laughs) but it could also be a really good opportunity to be um, the 
both the hands, feet, and presence of Jesus in just yeah. uh, deeply yeah. engaging ways. Yeah, yeah, they're both they're both very earthy questions. You know, how do we sustain ourselves in this place? You know, needing right. we live in the modern economy, we need to pay rent. You know, we gotta mm-hmm. find a way to be here. Uh, and then where where do we worship and who do we partner with? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, That's right. it's practical it's stuff, man. It's really it's good. R- it's really good. I I mean I I really I'm deeply grateful for your book, Jose, mm-hmm. and just to have this time Thank with you, you and to to, yeah. to meet with you. I I learned a ton. Yeah, a ton. Yeah, me too. Um, so thanks for being with us. How how would people connect with you? Maybe virtually online. Uh, where where, where can you be reached? Uh, at Jose Humphreys on uh, Twitter. I also have a website with some resources, josehumphreys.com. You can order the book from there and also uh, set up speaking engagements through that portal. Okay. Uh, yeah. Sweet. That sounds Very like it's good. part of the economic uh, model to make sure. Ma- <laughs> That's right. You <laughs> see it at work. <laughs> there it is. There it is. It's great. That's why we do Gravity Leadership too, not only because yeah. we love it, but model. it's part of how we um, support and fund our churches, our local churches. So thanks okay. for being with us, Jose. God bless you, man. Oh. I am so grateful for this time, and thanks for encouraging me. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Peace. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you enjoy learning from this podcast, please be sure to show your support by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes. Be sure to share with your friends on social media, too. And we would love to hear from you. So please email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. You can join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.